Hi, and welcome to Stefan Libera podcast, a show about Bitcoin. So have you been wondering about Lightning Network privacy? Where is it falling down right now? And where could it be improved in the future with protocol improvements or potentially at the application level? Joining me today is T-Bast from Async. Now he's working both on the protocol and the specification for Lightning, as well as Async and their products and their software like Phoenix and so on. So many people think that Lightning is fully private, um, but it's that's not quite true. It's more like it is more private than spending on-chain, but there are still certain heuristics and certain privacy uh, elements that could be improved both on-chain and off-chain. And so in this episode with T-Bast, we get into detail about those as well as some of the ideas he has around fixing those. This show is brought to you by Swan Bitcoin. You can set up and purchase to smash buy with a lump sum wire, and you can set up to do an automatic recurring buy, or as I like to call it, a Bitcoin savings plan. This is a really good way to automate your stacking and make sure that you are contributing to the monetization of Bitcoin. And with Swan, there's a focus on education. So you can receive free books like Jan Pritzker's Inventing Bitcoin and all sorts of other content that Swan provides to customers. If you are a high net worth investor or a business looking to get involved in that way, go to swanprivate.com and you will get a dedicated Bitcoin account expert who is available for one-on-one calls. I'm one of the people helping out on some of those calls also. So come and set up with us. Go to swanbitcoin.com slash and sign up to start stacking Bitcoin today. Introducing a new sponsor, Brains.com. That's Brains with two eyes. Brains are a Bitcoin mining company known for several software products. Brains OS Plus, which is firmware for your ASIC miner. They've also got Slush Pool, the oldest Bitcoin mining pool. And they are the co-creators of Stratum V2 with Matt Corallo, the next generation pooled mining protocol. So the team is growing fast. They're also hiring as well. So if you are a Rust developer, systems programmer, hardware architect or more, go to brains.com slash careers. And if you're in the mining game, Brains OS Plus is aftermarket firmware, which you can install on your ASIC to stack more sats. They've got auto tuning. So it auto optimizes the miner performance. So you get more hash rate for your electricity bill. So make sure you check out Brains OS. They are currently supporting a bunch of the Ant Miner models, uh, S9 and S17 models, T17 models, and S19 and S19 Pro are in early access beta. And what's minor models are coming next. So the cool features here are also that you can support Stratum V2, which is the next generation mining protocol. So go and check them out. It's brains.com. That's brains with two eyes. Now, if you need to get some Bitcoin mining equipment, compassmining.io can help you here. You can go to the website and you can select an ASIC mining machine and they've got a team that's ready to assist you if you've got questions. So go there. They've got all sorts of content on the website as well. So you can select your ASIC and then you select a hosting facility that has already been vetted by the Compass Mining team because many of us don't have access to very competitive power rates. And in doing this, you can get access to those cheaper power rates. So you can have that ASIC sent to that facility and switched on you can select a mining pool and then you're receiving bitcoin so you don't need to have advanced technical knowledge to get started you can get started quickly and easily and simply with compass mining so go to compassmining.io to find out more all right on to the show with t-bast t-bast welcome to the show hey stefan thanks for having me so, uh, Bastian, right? I prefer um, definitely having good technical discussions about the Lightning Network, and I know you've got a lot of things to talk about. For people who don't know you, do you want to just tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, sure. I started working on uh, on Lightning a few years ago. I think it was almost yet yeah, 
two two years and a half ago, I joined the async team to work on Eclair and the specification. And then I quickly spent a lot of time in the specification, working with everyone. And I just love it. It's just a great opportunity to work on in that space. So I'm having a lot of fun. Awesome. And so from your perspective, do you work a little bit on both? Like, do you wear two hats in terms of Lightning Protocol stuff and then also Async, Eclair, Phoenix, working on those things? Yeah, I wear all those hats. I I spend a lot of time on the spec. On the async team, I'm the one spending the most time on the specification. I'm trying to review almost everything that comes through the spec and sometimes giving it a go at implementing it or asking other people in the team to implement it in Eclair. I spend also a lot of time on Eclair and also a bit of time on all our other libraries that surround the Eclair ecosystem. We have a Bitcoin library in Scala, one in Kotlin Multiplatform, and we have actually a second Lightning implementation for Kotlin Multiplatform that is geared towards wallets, which is called Lightning KMP. So I've been spending some time on that one as well. Awesome, awesome. And I know you had some interesting thoughts around Lightning privacy, and I know this is an area where you've been focusing a lot probably a lot at the protocol level, where are the places that people might be falling down or leaking some info from a privacy perspective? So could you give us an overview? What are the some of the main ways before then we dive into a little bit more detail around uh, privacy, I guess, leakages or ways that you're leaking or doxing things? Okay, yeah. Privacy is a topic that I've been very interested in, mostly because I love cryptography. I think that cryptography is one of the technology that man has invented that can allow us to free ourselves. And it's just so powerful and so, so interesting. And it gives us a lot of tools to get better privacy than what we are used to. And on Lightning, we have a lot of opportunities to reach a great level of privacy. And But there's a lot of things. We, we currently have a lot of shortcomings. There are a lot of things that we can improve. And a disclaimer is that whenever I talk about privacy in Lightning, as a core developer guy, I tend to focus on all the things that we could doing better. So I'm going to point to a lot of things that aren't as great as they could. So usually at the end of my talks, people say, oh, but it looks like horrible. The, the privacy is horrible in there. And I want to say that, no, it's not horrible at all. It's already great, but... There are a lot of things that we can do better and we have ideas on how to make them better. So that's why I need it. I think it's important to talk about them just so that everyone knows what the trade-offs are and what risks they are taking if they are taking any regarding their privacy. Their privacy. So on Lighting, I think that Lighting privacy is quite different from uh, on-chain privacy, but there's a link because there are two main ways, main areas where your privacy might not be as good as you'd think. There's one area where you want to make sure that people cannot link your on-chain activities, on-chain UTXO to what's going to happen off-chain. So that's a really important property. And currently, there are a lot of areas where we do not have that in Lightning, but it's going to get much better with Schnorr. So we'll dive a bit into that. And then once you have broken the link with on-chain and you are living in the full off-chain world, your payments should be private. The way you pay, the way you receive payment and say payments should be private. And there are currently a lot of details where you can be less private than you would hope. So we will also dive into that. And th those two are really kind of orthogonal and they also depend on whether you are a full node or a mobile wallet. So we, we'll, get, uh, we'll get into the details of that. Yeah, gotcha. And so I guess high level, we should think of it like a lightning payment. Although there are ways you are doxing things or leaking things, it's probably fair to say lightning payments are more private than an on-chain payment that's broadcast out to the whole world and everyone can see that on the blockchain 
But as you're saying, there is an on-chain footprint. So it's not like people using Lightning are just never touching the chain. They are still touching the chain. It's just that they're doing it in terms of channel open, channel close, these kinds of things. So could you tell us a little bit about the on-chain footprint for a Lightning user? Yeah, sure. So the way you unbound Lightning is by opening channels to people. So opening channels means you have to do an on-chain transaction that is called the funding transaction. Once that channel is open, you can start doing Lightning payments. And then at some point, you may want to close that channel. You don't need to, but you may want to close it if you just want to stop using that peer and go to another peer or just stop using Lightning or do, do anything you want or just start with another account for privacy. So there are two ways the channel may be closed. Either you do a collaborative mutual close where you both decide, hey, we want to close. Or there's another way where one of the two parties can decide to unilaterally close. That's very important to be able to do in case your peer just disappears, goes completely offline, and you want to get your funds back. And that will incur an unchanged transaction as well. So the transactions that we do in the mutual close case and in the unilateral case are very different, and they don't have the same privacy guarantees. So first of all, what you want when you create your channel you want that that funding transaction does not reveal that it is using Lightning. But right, no right now it is because that funding transaction is basically a pay-to-witness script hash output with a 2 of 2 multisig. So once you create the funding transaction, everything is okay. No one knows what that script contains. So no one knows that it could be a Lightning uh, channel open. But once you close it and you spend that output, people will see on chain that this was spending a 2 of 2 multisig. And this isn't that common right now on the network. So if people see a two of two multisig being spent on chain, they know that there's a high chance that this was a channel opening. So that that's bad and that's something, but this one is something we can very easily fix once we have a Schnorr because with Schnorr, we're gonna change that to instead of being a two of two multisig, we'll use music two, which is a new protocol to make Schnorr multi-signatures that look like a single signature. So people will not be able to see on chain that it is different from just a single signature. So this is gonna be great and it's gonna be a great improvement for lighting privacy at the channel opening uh, level. But it only fixes the issue when there's a mutual close and where you, you, when you are going to be deciding to spend collaboratively and you will be able to create that multi-signature. Because otherwise, in the case of unilateral close, since one peer needs to be able to spend on chain alone, he will have to reveal a script. And this is going to be a non-standard script. So when you do a unilateral close, I think there's no way we'll be able to guarantee that this looks like a normal on-chain transaction. Because it has to have, for, for, for the safety of your funds, this has to have very specific scripts to let you get back on chain the funds that you had off-chain. Gotcha. Yeah, so let me just walk that through a little bit and make sure everyone's following along. So when we set up our Lightning channel, we're doing it in a conditional way or we're using Bitcoin script. And so this is where there are, if you will, different spending pathways. And so what we're saying here is at the time that we close that channel, then it becomes recognizable because people and any outside observer can view that script that was actually encoded and see, oh, hang on, this is actually closing of a Lightning channel. I can tell that right now because there might be, depending on how the Lightning channel and depending on the conditions, there might be some kind of CLTV or CSV condition applied to it. And I'm showing you, here's the script and here's the signature in order to make this a valid Bitcoin spend. 
And so because of that, now we can recognize that. But what we're saying is when we're moving into the Taproot Schnorr world and we're using Musig 2, and so for listeners, I did an episode with Jonas, Nick, and with uh, Tim Ruffing talking about Musig 2. Um, and so what we're saying is in the Taproot world, we would be doing what's called the key path spend, which is indistinguishable uh, from another Taproot key path spend, at least on that metric or on that count. Is that a fair summary? Yeah, exactly. And uh, I'm really excited about Music 2. Jonas and uh, team have been doing a lot of great work and their PR is still under review. And we cannot do that in Lightning until Music 2 is completely standardized and integrated into Bitcoin. So if, if there are decent C programmers listening to, to the show, I encourage them to just have a look at that PR and help Jonas get it merged because then we'll be able to use it in Lightning and it will be great. And even though it will only protect us when we do a mutual close, when you do a non-cooperative close, then it's always going to be a single SIG and we'll have to reveal one of the taproot script. And then it's going to be obvious that this was a lightning thing. But if we can improve it for the mutual close case, it's already a big win compared to today. I see. Yep. And so, yeah, some of that just comes down to the way Bitcoin works and the scripts are working because part of that is the channels have to be constructed in this way so that you can unilaterally recover as opposed to being reliant on that other person. So there's a little bit of, I guess, cryptographic magic that goes into it, but essentially that's part of what gives Lightning Network this ability to be used in a non-custodial way as opposed to trusting somebody else. And so that's part of this idea of the open permissionless Lightning Network that we're doing. So yeah, this is kind of doing it the hard way, but it's doing it in a way that gives people certain qualities and certain things about the Lightning Network that we couldn't get if we're just using Visa, MasterCard, etc. So that's probably an important point to understand. And then the other aspect is that channels are advertised publicly, right? So there's this, uh, there's like gossip data being sent. So when I spin up my Lightning node, uh, it's talking to the other Lightning nodes and saying, hey, here's what's going on. So could you explain a little bit about that? What's going on there with ch- uh, public advertisement of channels? Yeah, exactly. So once once we fixed the, the issue we mentioned previously, we will be protected from people that are only watching the chain. They won't be able by just watching the Bitcoin blockchain to detect what what is Lightning. But if they run a node in the Lightning network, they will still be able to link some UTXOs to channels because, as you said, we just gossip every every public channel that we open. We're just going to send it to everyone in the Lightning Network. The reason we do that is to allow everyone to have locally the graph of the network to be able to find routes. Because the way, the way we do payments in the Lightning Network is that we are going to find a route from the payer to the destination. So the payer needs to have enough information about what channels exist in the graph to find the route himself in order to not have to ask someone else to find the route for him first revealing the recipient. So fundamentally, I think that we will still need to be able to reveal of chain that this UTXO was used to open a channel between this node and this node. And Rusty recently proposed something where he'd like to change this to a UTXO ownership proof. But I think that I haven't looked at all the details yet, but I think that this cannot completely solve the issue, or at least if it solves the issue of privacy, it will have a cost, a negative impact somewhere else because the reason we want to know which UTXO is used to create which channel is that by just watching the chain, we can also detect when a channel is closed and that this way we can remove it from the graph 
to make sure that we do not try to send payment through that channel that doesn't exist anymore. So if we remove that information, we won't be able to know that channels are closed. So payment routing will most likely fail more often than uh, than right now. So I think there's a fundamental trade-off here between privacy and reliability. So people who are running a node of chain are able to still link that a given UTXO was used to open a channel between two nodes. So you may you may think that there's a silver lining here that they do not know which of the nodes uh, put that fund in the channel, so it gives you deniability. But actually, it's not that good because mostly because the, these UTXOs are likely eventually going to be reused. So if there's a channel be open between Alice and Bob, someone just watching that doesn't know if this UTXO belonged to Alice or belonged to Bob. But if a channel is closed and then the UTXO from that channel closing is used to open a channel between Alice and Carol, then you know that it was Alice, that this UTXO belonged to Alice. And it's the same if Alice reuses the change output from the funding transaction, it lets anyone link those. So I think it's really easy to be able to decide which, which of the nodes in the channel put the unchained funds uh, in the first place. The way you could work around that is by very carefully manage doing your coin selection to ensure that you do not reuse for another channel a coin that came from a pre previous channel. But that's actually really hard because that means that a lot of your UTXOs, once they come from a channel that has been closed, are basically unusable of chain. You have to only use them on chain and it kind of locks up a lot of liquidity that you would want to use. And you're already locking up liquidity in Lightning. If you also have to lock up liquidity on chain because you want to preserve your privacy, that's a lot of coins that you just cannot use. And it's really hard. Yeah, that makes it very infeasible. So again, just walking that through for listeners. So the idea is when you send a Bitcoin transaction, there's inputs and outputs. One of the key on-chain surveillance heuristics is this idea of figuring out which one was the change. So the idea if I spent 0.9 Bitcoin to you and I, that came out of a one Bitcoin UTXO, then people can see, ah, oh, 0.1 change back to Stefan. So that must be his coin. And then if I then later use that to open another channel, they can see, oh, look, Stefan is just opening another channel with that 0.1 change. But perhaps maybe longer term over time, if, if things like dual funded channels, that maybe makes it less and less clear which one is to change if, if we both collaborate. And let's say I collaborate with you on which UTXO to fund that channel with. And then I later fund a channel to somebody else. And I also do a dual funded channel thing with them. Maybe that's also... But again, it's it's a bit more complicated and it's a bit more difficult, but maybe that's like a longer term idea that could help make that less reliable. Yeah, it's going to make it a bit better because people won't be able to know exactly what amount you put in, but they will be able to know that you put at least some amount. But actually, I think there's another good silver lining there. That, that there's a better way to at least hide partially your funds, and that's unannounced channels. That's something that has been called uh, incorrectly called private channels because they're not really private. They can be probed easily and we're doxing them a lot in uh, invoices and we'll cover that later. But if I open a channel to you publicly, I give that to the whole network. The whole network knows that we have a one Bitcoin channel between us. I can also open other channels to you, but just not announce them. So people will think that I just put one Bitcoin, one of us put one Bitcoin between the two of us where in fact we put like 10 or 20 Bitcoins. And whenever they route payment, since they know that there is one public channel, they will just try to route. It will always work because we actually have a lot more money 
between us than only the one we advertise. And we've been able to completely hide these, uh, these on-chain funds. And I think that's a great way for nodes who have at least a decent amount of uh, UTXOs to put in to be able to hide uh, most of their UTXOs and completely break the link between on-chain and off-chain because they don't ever have to announce these channels to the network. They just lazily use them to route payments when they receive a payment that they should route because they don't have to explicitly route through the public channel. They can route to any of the channels they have between themselves and people won't know which channel it went through as long as it worked. I see. And then I guess... Would there still be a, rel- a payment reliability issue or negative impact there just with a lot of private channel use? Or do you think it wouldn't be a huge deal? No, there would be absolutely no impact. That's why it's interesting. As long as you, as the ch- public channel that you open is big enough that it still attracts payments, people don't care whether you send it through that channel or you send it through another channel uh, you have with your peer, or you even do something completely differently than, uh, than Lightning. You could even just send him a message and trust him to do it correctly. So people don't care what happens between two points as long as what they put in uh, as input, what they see as output is just correct. So I think it's a great way to hide most of your funds. I see. And then, yeah, so right now it's like private channels or unannounced channels rather um, can be more easily doxed. But if they were to be used, I guess, more widely, then that's what you're saying. It might be, um, and people don't necessarily dox the existence of that channel with a route hint or something like that, then that's where the privacy benefit might come for that. Exactly. And it's, uh, I know for a fact that it is actually used by at least a few uh, big routing nodes. So this is already in the network and that means that people cannot know that these channels exist and and underestimate the actual uh, capacity of the network thanks to that. I see. Yeah. And then there's also this idea I've heard of, it's called route blinding. So what's that? Yeah, perfect. I I was going to come to that because it's interesting that mobile wallets don't have the same requirements as routing nodes. Routing nodes need to advertise at least one channel they have with their peer because they want people to know that they can route through them. But mobile wallets are not routing payment. They, they, they are just receiving and sending payments. So mobile wallets always use unannounced channels. So if they were able to completely hide those from the payers, it would be great. It would be perfect. Right now, the issue is that they're not because when a mobile wallet needs to be paid, They need to tell the payer how to reach them. So they currently include what we call a route hint hint in the invoice that contains the whole details of of a channel. And that's bad because that reveals both their channel ID and their node ID. And then people can go see on chain that, oh, this wallet has actually put that uh, that many funds in this channel. And we'd like to avoid that. And we thought about, uh, of a lot of ways to avoid that. We explored, uh, Christian explored a lot uh, Rendezvous. But the issue is that Rendezvous just doesn't work well with Lightning because it's too strict. It restricts too much what the payer can do. But when, So when we discovered that Rendezvous was not going to be a thing, at least for normal payments, we wanted to do something else. So I spent a lot of time uh, figuring out what, what we could do. And I ended up with this proposal called, called Route Blinding, which is a kind of lightweight rendezvous, which addresses all of these issues. It's really nice because it lets a recipient be paid without revealing neither his channel ID nor his node ID. And that's great because revealing your node ID is, an also, is also another privacy issue. If you could just be paid without revealing anything about you, it would be perfect. And that's, that's where Route Blinding comes in. 
the overall idea is that you, instead of providing in your invoice a route hint that tells exactly what your channel is, you're going to provide an introduction node. You're going to tell the payers, you need, if you want to reach me, start going through Rusty's node, for example. And then from Rusty's node, go to that node, then that node, then that node. But instead of giving the real node IDs here, you are going to give fake node IDs that are completely unlinkable to the real node IDs. And you're going to give cryptographic information that will let each node, when they receive the payment, be able to just unblind only the next node and then send him the payment. And that guy is going to be too able to unblind the next node and the next node until it reaches you. So it's sort of like the onion routing construction idea, but applied to nodes as well, instead of like payment. So could you help us understand what's the difference between something like this and an earlier idea like trampoline routing? This is orthogonal to trampoline and they, they combine well, uh, as a matter of fact. So uh, they, they are really interesting to use to get together. And trampoline is, al is also very interesting to use with uh, rendezvous because rendezvous is not practical for normal payments, but it becomes practical with trampoline payments. And that's something that most people didn't realize. And I think it's a really interesting property of trampoline. So yeah, I think we should, uh, we should get into that. I just wanted to mention while we're talking about route blinding that there is currently a simpler proposal that has a smaller benefit than a route blinding, which is just, just the idea that instead of putting your real channel ID in a route in, you could, you could just put something completely fake. But you would have to tell your peer, I'm going to be putting this fake channel ID. If you see that, know that it's me and relay it to me. And Rusty proposed that in his... Uh, in his current uh, PR for zero conf channels, so we may we may see that in the network soon. But the the issue is that it only works for a single hop, hop, and it doesn't hide your node ID. So it's not as strong at, as route blinding. And in fact, actually, Rusty proposed that already a year ago, and I was not happy enough with that. I thought we could do better, and that's why I looked into route blinding and I superseded his proposal with uh, route blinding. But actually, route blinding uses a lot of cryptography. And I'm not a cryptographer, I'm just a dev who loves cryptography. So it, I would love to have more reviews on the proposal. The spec PR has been up for more than a year and it's being used. It's a dependency of offers and onion messages. So we're on the verge of shipping it soon, hopefully. So if people are able to review that, please review it and give some feedback before we actually yeah. ship that to implementation. Yeah. And one other thing around route blinding. So how is it that you can put out a fake node ID and the counterparty still knows where to find the real place to pay? Like, how does that part of it work? It's a bit similar to adapter signatures in the sense that you are the way as a, as a receiver, the way you are going to do this is that if I want to, if I, if I'm Alice and I want to be paid by Eve and there's a route, Alice, Bob, Carol, Dave, Eve, and I want to tell to Eve, you're going to go to reach me through Carol, but I want to hide Bob and Alice. What I'm going to do is I'm going to tell her Carol, but then instead of using Bob's node ID, I will add a random tweak to that node ID. So it okay. creates a completely fake node ID, but Eve is going to have information about that tweak encrypted so that only Carol can decrypt it. So that when Carol received that message, Carol is able to get that tweak, remove it from the blended node ID and discover that this gives her the node ID of Bob. And then she forwards and Bob is going to have something equivalent for the tweak for Alice's node ID. 
I see. So it's almost like they'll receive this information and they'll have this almost revelation that, oh, actually, you're trying to pay this person. Oh, and I know that person. I can pay them. And then it goes step by step. And then Bob is going to do the same thing. And because he's the final step in the journey, he would know, oh, actually, I'm paying Alice in that example. Exactly. It happens one, one hop at a time where every node just discovers, oh, the next node is actually that node. And I'm the only one to discover that. And then the next node does the same and does the same. And you can actually add dummy hops at the end so that people think that the route is longer than it actually is. And when you receive the final payment and see that you should relay it, but in fact, you're relaying it to yourself. So you know that you, you've reached the end and the payer thinks that the route was longer than it actually was. Ah, uh, yeah, it's interesting. I'm, I'm wondering, could that sort of thing get dosed? Like, could someone like malicious just like make up a bunch of fake routes and just send them all through the network and just push computational cost or time onto everyone else? The, the cost here is not too hard. It's just one, uh, one decryption and one uh, addition to, to a public key. So yeah, I think it's okay. I think it's not worse than what we already do for onion messages. So. It wouldn't be worse than what people can do when they just send payments for for dummy payment hashes and you relay them and mm -hmm. then they fail. Mm -hmm. So I think that the solution to that would be the same solution as we have to avoiding these fake payments. I see. Yeah, so it would be at a similar level to what probing is today. Exactly. So it's kind of already accepted by, I guess, most in the network, although some some people do have a privacy concern about probing, but that's another whole, <laughs> that's yeah. another whole um, can of worms. We won't go there yet. Okay, so... Those are some of the first, I guess, things to think about. What about other ways in which our off-chain payments can be doxed or there might be some kind of privacy leakage? Okay, I think that we've covered most of the things that happen between the on-chain and off-chain part. And now once you're completely in the off-chain world, one of the, thing, one of the first things where privacy falls down is that when you are a mobile wallet, it's really easy for your peer to discover that you are a mobile wallet. We, the way we do payments in Lightning is that we use this onion routing scheme that lets every node only know that the previous node was the one who sent them the message and the next node is the one that they asked to relay to, but they don't know, they don't know anything more than that. So they do not know if the previous node was actually the payer or just another routing node. And they do not know if the next node is the recipient or just another routing node and the route extends uh, after them. But when there's a mobile wallet involved, that is not true anymore because if you're mobile, if you if a mobile wallet is connected to you, it's very easy to see because they will have unreliable connections. They will be offline most of the time. They will not have a stable IP or they will be using Tor, and you you'll see that they will not have a public channel with you. So you know that this guy is a mobile wallet. So when you receive a request to forward a payment from some, some someone that is a mobile wallet, you know that they are the sender. They could not have relayed it from someone else. They, they do not relay payments, so they are the sender. And similarly, when you are asked to relay a payment to someone on a, uh, that looks like a mobile wallet, you know that they are the final recipient. So that kind of breaks the Onion uh, routing guarantees. And I don't think you can fix that ever because you, you will never be able to convince a server node that your mobile wallet looks like a server. You, you, you will not be able to keep a connection uh, all the time to them, otherwise your battery will die. So you shouldn't even try to hide that. The best you can hope for is to at least hide your IP address and hide your node ID or split your activity between multiple node IDs. But there's no way you're going to be able to completely defend against that. So, so you have to accept that as a mobile wallet, the node you're connected to will be able to know that you are sending payment 
but you want them to not be able to know who you're sending that payment to. And when they relay a payment to you, they know that you are receiving that payment, but you don't want them to know from who it was, from whom it was coming. And that's where it would be great to have something like trampoline. And I think it helps privacy a lot because right now people on mobile wallets are actually depending a lot on the nodes they're connected to for pathfinding because either they are asking that node directly to do the pathfinding, which is really bad because that means they were, they are telling that node, please pay that guy. So they are completely revealing that they are the payer and who the recipient is. Or even if they're not, since they depend on their peer to give them, to relay to them the graph information, their peer could actually omit some channels and give them a lightweight version of a graph that still lets them discover who they're paying. Even though the mobile wallet thinks they are private because they are calculating the route themselves, if they are calculating a route without the full graph information, they may be revealing who they're paying anyway. And where trampoline is really nice is that the way it works, it's really hard to explain with just audio, but it's really much easier with text. So I will get into, into details about this at the, in El Salvador, at the adopting a Bitcoin conference with a lot of diagrams. And I hope it will make sense for everybody. The way you use trampoline is that as a recipient, if you want to be paid over trampoline, you will find some node in your local neighborhood, a trampoline node, and you will include him and a few other nodes in your neighborhood. You will include them in your invoice. And that tells the payer, if you want to reach me, find a way to trampoline to that guy. As a payer, you're gonna, you're gonna be looking at your own neighborhood, choose one of these trampoline nodes and send them the payment. And this trampoline node, we are using onion routing for the trampoline part as well. So this trampoline node only knows who the next trampoline node is. They do not know if it's the last recipient or a normal one. And in the case I described, it would not be the last recipient. It would just be another trampoline node. So at least your LSP is not learning who you pay. And when the second trampoline receives the payment, they see that it was coming from some node, but they don't see the payer. And they may discover the recipient if they're directly connected to them, or they may not if it's not a mobile wallet and they're not directly connected. So at least the best a trampoline node can learn is either the payer or the recipient, but not both. And from what we've seen before, as a mobile wallet, you cannot hope for more because the, the node you're connected to will know that you're a mobile wallet, so you are either a payer or a recipient. Back to the show in a moment. Have you thought about your multi-signature security? Unchained Capital are helping you do this, and they've got a concierge onboarding program to help you create a two of three multi-signature vault. So in this model, you hold two keys in separate locations, of course, and they hold the third key. And if you've never held your own private keys before, the program they've got can help you go from zero to multi-sig hero. So you can have those hardware wallets shipped to you. You'll have a video call to set up your vault and you'll have some Bitcoin deposited in that vault to get you started. And if you go to the website, unchained.com and find the concierge program, and if you use the code Levera, you'll get $50 off. Remember with Bitcoin, it's about removing single points of failure. And when you upgrade your setup to multi-signature, you're doing that. And you might find it easier to sleep at night knowing that you've got your coins secured by multi-signature and that one catastrophic error might not destroy your stack. So go to unchained.com and check out the options there. And if you're looking for hardware wallets, my favorite is the cold card. Coincard.com are the creators of this and they're a long time Bitcoin 
security company and in recent years their focus has been on hardware security and they have a very popular and rightfully so hardware wallet with this cold card it looks like a little calculator you can generate your private key on there and you can move the information back and forward using a micro sd card so it never has to touch a computer and you can use it easily with wallets like spectre desktop sparrow electrum blue wallet and others cold card is always an innovator as well they've got all sorts of new features and really just but well thought out features like an address explorer or the ability to use seed XOR, which is a plausibly deniable means of storing secrets in two or more parts that look and behave just like the original secret. So go to coinkite.com and order your cold card. Use the code Levera for a discount. And finally, Lend at HodlHodl is a peer-to-peer Bitcoin-backed lending platform where you can lend or borrow stable coins globally and anonymously using Bitcoin as collateral. So with Lend at HodlHodl, you don't necessarily have to sell your bitcoin if you need some liquidity you can actually borrow stable coins against your bitcoin and control your collateral in escrow holding one of the three keys throughout that whole deal now stable coin holders can earn some extra interest by lending their stable coins out defining the terms and the apr for their deals hodl hodl just completed a major security upgrade as well you can go and sign up at lend.hodlhodl.com that's l-e-n-d.h-o-d-l-h-o-d-l.com back to the show yeah, so let's. There's a lot there, so let's try to walk that through. So, I guess the key, one of the ideas, as you were saying, as a mobile wallet, you will not be able to hide the fact that you're a mobile wallet. So let's just resign ourselves to that. That's not going to change. But then the other part we were talking about is that as a mobile wallet, one of the challenges is you have to, well, theoretically, in the Lightning Network, you want to maintain this map of the network or routing graph. Because you're a mobile wallet, you're smaller and you won't have as much computational power, as much hard drive and so on. You don't want to necessarily carry that entire routing graph inside your phone because for battery reasons and computational reasons. So what's happening in practice is you're offloading some of that to somebody else. And so in this case, it might be an LSP, Lightning Service Provider. And so what we're talking about here is this idea that we would use a trampoline style payment, which masks who you're actually paying to or receiving like in the way that you're receiving the coins so there might be a bunch of trampoline nodes out there in the network and they might be as an example you know the phoenix wallet and you know the async node would be a trampoline node and there might be other people out there who are running a lightning node anyway and they sort of put their hand up to say hey i'm willing to be a trampoline node as well and help other people route through me and so it's that similar kind of idea like you were saying like that kind of revelation of once they say, once that payment has gone through you see the next person who you're sending it to and in doing it this way we are potentially getting more privacy for the mobile wallet users or potentially even just a normal lightning desktop you know wallet or a person user who wants to use trampoline have i got you have i got you right there Exactly, that's exactly that. And what's interesting is that it's finally been, we've proposed uh, trampoline more than two years ago, and it was coming from an idea from uh, Pierre-Marie and Christian Decker. And there has been progress in that because we're not the only trampoline node in the network anymore. Electrum is also running trampoline nodes. So this actually could be a reality to do that, that two trampoline hubs that would help the privacy of uh, mobile wallets, but we just need it to be more widespread. So I'm hoping that C-Lightning and LND and LDK start implementing that soon as well. We, we've discussed it recently uh, at the LN meeting. 
there's a lot there's a lot on everyone's plate right now because there are so many things happening especially with taproot but i'm hoping that it will eventually uh, we will eventually get there because i'm quite convinced that the way i plan on using it is actually a great privacy improvement for for mobile wallet i see and so i recall there were some earlier criticisms leveled at the idea of trampoline but i think that this is one of those areas where like it's quite a technical area and people who are at a very advanced level lightning protocol developers and cryptographers are able to sort of debate these ideas out. And I suppose from a specification point of view, I mean, the general rule, as I understand it, is once there's two independent implementations who've made it work between themselves, then it is added to the spec. And then so theoretically, once something is in the spec, then all the lightning should be implementing that. Is that right? Yeah, that's true. Even though we would not, I would not want to strong arm over implementations because I know it's uh, it takes time and uh, we are all lacking time in uh, reviews and implementation. And trampoline really shines if there are a lot of trampoline nodes in the network, and that lets you really hide yourself among uh, all these trampoline nodes. So I, I would rather wait and encourage people to to implement it than force it upon the spec. So that's why we've not been aggressively, we haven't been aggressively pushing to actually merge this, but the proposal is still there. The spec is still uh, ready. It's in a PR, but it's uh, it's fully specified. So people can implement it when they have time or, or when users request some uh, request to have that feature. And then eventually it will end. And most, most of the criticisms that uh, were most of the criticism I heard about trampoline were actually almost always misunderstanding about how trampoline work. It was always people thinking that when you were doing trampoline, you were telling the trampoline node, this is the recipient, please calculate, calculate the route to them. But it's actually not how it works at all. So I encourage these people to read the proposal to see why it's much more private than that and uh, much better. And another of the great benefits of trampoline is that it combines well with route blending, but it also enables uh, rendezvous because trampoline is kind of a more flexible routing scheme than the normal SARS routing that we use. So it is actually really easy to use to rendezvous with it and it, and it works. So I'm hoping that if pe- maybe that's something that will help people uh, get sold to the idea of trampoline that we, we can use rendezvous when we have trampoline. Okay. So. Just to untangle a little bit of that. So, yeah, so as you were saying, the idea is there would be multiple trampoline nodes on the network. And so this would give people the ability to sort of bounce their payment via some of these trampoline nodes such that that you're not reliant on one particular trampoline node, right? Like you you were saying, trivially, it would be a bit silly if, let's say, async was the only trampoline node. Well, everyone would be like, okay, obviously it's gone through them. They know the payer or they know the receiver. So actually, to be clear, in this case, is it that if there was only one trampoline node, would they know the payer or the receiver in this case? If there is only one trampoline node, they they know the recipient always. And they may or may not know the the payer. They would know the payer if the payer is directly connected to them. But if the payer is not directly connected to them and reaches them through uh, two hops, for example, they then they would not know the payer. But that's why in my ideal uh, usage of trampoline for wallets, I would use one trampoline that's near the recipient and one trampoline that's near the payer, so that you can have uh, you can choose the privacy that you have. The recipient is always hidden from the first trampoline. The payer is always hidden from the second trampoline. And depending on whether you'd rather directly connect to your trampolines or put nodes between you and your trampolines, you can hide yourselves completely or not. I see. Yeah. So, and then, so as you were saying, so 
in the multiple trampolines world, let's say there's a lot of trampoline nodes out there, then it starts to become a lot more private in the sense that there's a chance they would know the recipient, but they probably wouldn't know the payer in that case. That's probably the, that would be the in practice. Is that right? Yeah. And even the, the first trampoline would never know the recipient at all, which, uh, which right. is really nice. Actually, all nodes have an incentive to do trampoline because basically being a trampoline node just means that you are, when you are going to be relaying, instead of relaying directly to the node, uh, a node close to you, you, you just have to run your pathfinding algorithm. But that's, that's something you, everyone already has implemented. So it's not that much more costly to run than a normal node. And it lets you attract more payments that will pay more fees. So it's actually really interesting to, to be a trampoline node whenever you are a routing node. Uh, yeah, interesting. Okay. So in a way, it's, it might potentially be solving multiple, two birds, one stone, right? So as an example, the initial problem was that a mobile wallet doesn't have the routing graph and cannot calculate the route. So because in Lightning, if you're the one sending the payment, you have to try to construct a, a package that is going along a certain pathway that it's going from Alice to Bob to Carol to etc. But in this case with trampoline, you don't have to be able to calculate that all yourself. You only need to be able to calculate to the first trampoline node that you know. And you might know multiple trampoline nodes. In this ideal world with lots of trampoline nodes, you might pick from an array of trampoline nodes, get your package to one of them through the Lightning Network. And then from there, they are then taking on, they're shouldering the, the rest of that load. And that might then go via another trampoline node on the way to, to the final recipient, such that people don't know the payer or the receiver in the, in the ideal case. But in some cases, they might know maybe one or the other. Yeah, exactly. And what's nice with that is that if you are okay with your trampoline uh, node learning that you have a payer, you directly connect to them, and then you don't have to download anything about the graph. And if you want to hide yourself from your trampoline node, you don't connect directly to them. You connect to a node that's connected to them. And then you have to sync a part of a graph, but only a small part of a graph. You only have to sync your local neighborhood. So it's much smaller than the entire graph. And that's something that can run on a phone without impacting the battery and performance too much. So by syncing only your neighborhood, just enough to get you to trampoline nodes, you're still able to hide yourselves from the trampoline node while not having to to calculate the whole route yourself. So it's it's actually a very good trade-off. I see. Yeah. So we're kind of delegating the pathfinding aspect of it, but maybe getting a privacy benefit on the way. Well, not maybe. We are. It sounds like we are getting one. So you were touching on this earlier that the incentive, the idea that you might have an incentive to actually run a trampoline node. So let's say now, obviously, you're running a business. Async is going to be a trampoline node. But then even just the everyday, let's say, plebnet, users out there might be thinking, hey, I want to, if, if it's like a package that I can enable, or if it's an option I can set in my Lightning client, I want to put my hand off to be a trampoline node, because then I'll receive more payments coming through me, which in, which in turn means I will receive more fees. Is that how you're thinking about it? Exactly. And m mostly is uh, enabling trampoline on your node the only thing that it will cost to your node is that it's going to be using a bit more CPU than, where, than if you don't use it. But actually, Lightning nodes nowadays are not bound by CPU. They're, they're using only a tiny fraction of their CPU. It's not the CPU that's the bottleneck. So since you have that CPU available, just turn it on and you will use resources that are otherwise unused and it will let you earn more fees. I see. Yeah. Okay. So now in terms of mobile wallets, way, I guess, to simplify the way people think about lightning right now is that if you want to 
receive in Lightning, generally it's harder for you to be private, right? Right now it's easier for the person who is paying the money to be private because it's sort of like you wouldn't necessarily know where that money came from. But if you're receiving right now, you generally have to be putting up, oh, hey, here's my node ID and potentially there might be doxing a channel as well as part of that because if we look at actually what's in, what's inside that invoice. So for listeners, when you're when you scan that QR code or when you read that string, the LNBC one, etc., that's actually doxing the node ID. So I guess that's probably one aspect where maybe the Lightning Network is falling down in terms of privacy. But I guess as you're saying, potentially that could be fixed by route blinding. Or do you have any other thoughts to add on that? Exactly. This issue is fixed by either route blinding or trampoline with rendezvous. And that completely completely fixes the issue and makes uh, gives receivers a great uh, a great privacy. But there's actually another attack on privacy that's the mo- most obvious one that we haven't described yet. So we need to talk about it. Is the payment hash correlation attack? R- right now, the way Lightning works is that you are doing onion routing and sending your payment through multiple hubs. But the information that they forward between these hubs is always the same. It's using a payment hash. And it's always the same along the whole route. So if someone is at two points, uh, is he, he be, if two nodes in the route belong to the same person, they know that these two payments are actually the same. And fortunately, this is trivially fixed with uh, with, uh, with Schnorr because with Schnorr, we're going to be able to change that. Right now, we're using a hash and a pre-image and we're going to change that to using a point and a secret key. And with that, uh, the HTLCs will be, which is, which is, uh, which stands for hash time lock contracts, which will then be become PTLCs, point time lock contracts. And what that allows with a construction that, that's called multi hop locks is that every hop will use a different point, a different secret, and they will not be able to correlate that, uh, to which two PTLCs are actually the same payment. And that, that's something that will be enabled by the taproot upgrade, but it requires, uh, Many changes, so it will take a, it will take some time until we get there. But we actually know how we want to get there, and we we have a construction ready. We just need to make a lot of changes to to actually use it. I see. So, again, just summarizing that for people who are new. So, in the Lightning Network today, we are using this idea of hash and a pre-image, and the idea is you're sending someone that hash, and then at the end, you're going to reveal the pre-image when you're ready. Like once all the stages in that route already, then you're revealing that pre-image. And because it's the same pre-image used across every hop in that route in the multi-hop locking process of Lightning Network today, that can potentially be used by a surveillance node or a, let's say you've got a bunch of nodes, you're running, let's say I'm malicious, I'm running you know, the Stefan Levera malicious node network of surveillance across the Lightning Network. And I can see, oh, look, this guy's asking for the same pre-image up. Oh, boom, I can see, ah, it, it looks like this payment probably came from this particular area, at least. Maybe I wouldn't be able to get it down to the exact node, but I might know roughly within that kind of cluster, if you will. And it's going here because I've seen it went there. So is that right? And then the idea is in the Taproot and Schnorr world, we're going to be doing point time locking where instead of the pre-image, it's going to be continually changing what that is. So that aspect of what's called payment correlation will no longer be a thing. Have I got you right there? Yeah, exactly. We, with, point, with PTLCs, the secrets that are revealed are going to be different at each hop in the route, and they are, it's going to be impossible to just link them together because they, they have no relation 
between themselves whatsoever. Only the sender knows the relation between these uh, between these secrets. So no one will be able to correlate the payments anymore. And what's interesting is that it also brings us a lot of new, a bigger, uh, big design space for a lot of improvement. This this also enables something called a stuckless payment, where once you have sent a payment, if it gets stuck at some point in the route, right now, you don't have a choice but to wait for the payment to fail. And if the node has disappeared instead of forwarding your payment, you could wait for a while. And until the payment is failed, you should not retry because you may end up being uh, paying twice. But with PTLCs, we're able to change that so that when, when a payment is stuck, you can just kind of disable it, retry, and ensure that you're only going to be paying once. It doesn't fix the issue of having that uh, failed payment locked and locking some liquidity, but at least it lets you retry and finalize your payment so that you can just get it through. And you're not completely blocked, not being able to pay uh, the merchant that needs to be paid for his coffee or something like that. I see. So the uh, it, it might give a better experience because right now what people find is when they're using Lightning, they might not understand the idea of the expiry. And so sometimes in mobile wallets or on desktop wallets, you can change the manually the expiry of that invoice that you're sending to somebody. And it might be a 15 minute expiry or 60 minutes or even 24 hours. But that, I guess that's part of the reason for that, right? Yeah, exactly. And right now, to be honest, it's actually terrible because if you're paying with Lightning in a store, you're, you're buying something, you're paying and your payment gets stuck somewhere along the, the way, you just cannot do anything. You just cannot finalize that payment and you have to wait for some random node in the network to come up and decide either to fail or to forward your payment. And until then, you just cannot retry. So you just cannot buy that thing. You, you have to stay in the shop for like hours or a day for your payment to either time out or succeed. But with stuckless payment, you'll be able to automatically just retry right now until it succeeds. Then you, you get out of the shop with the thing you bought. And the other ones that have been stuck, they will be eventually failed. So you'll get back the, your money and there's no risk that they will just succeed and you have paid twice or three times the amount that you wanted to pay. So it's actually a great improvement for real world usability. I see. Yeah. And I mean, even for today, in most, like the stuckless payment thing is one thing, but I think in practice today, Lightning nodes might have to try that payment a few times, but it's just that each like if it does fail, they'll get the failment back, the failure back. So they know, okay, I need to retry this payment. So in this case, this is specifically, as you were saying, if they didn't forward or fail it back and they're just stuck, that's this case, right? And I think AJ Towns had an email about this as well, didn't he? About, uh, I think it was on the mailing list. I'm not sure if you've seen that one, but yeah, basically I think he was trying to spell out a few ideas on what it might look like in a, in a PTLC world. Okay, interesting. No, uh, I, I may I may have missed that one, but yeah, yeah, I'll look into okay, it. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm sure that'd be cool. Yeah. So, uh, is there anything else from a protocol level that you wanted to talk about, or we might start talking a little bit more about you know apps and Phoenix and Eclair? Yes, on the protocol level, what's interesting is that there, there's been some traction around, uh, around uh, route blending because Rusty is pushing for offers and offers is great. We, sh we really should have offers as soon as possible. So I encourage people to just push for it, ask their wallets to implement it and uh, ask people to review it. And offers depends on route blending and offers also introduces something called onion messages. And that's really cool because onion messages is something that uses route blending and lets you send messages to nodes. And the really cool, cool part about it is that I can send you a message through an onion path. So when you receive that message, you don't know who I am. I sent you something, but you, you don't know my node ID. You don't know anything. 
but I can even include a way for you to respond without learning who I am. And that's really great because as a sender, I can get the best of both worlds. I send you messages. I'm able to get a, a response without ever telling you who I am. And it also works for payments. And that's what using, that's what Rusty uses in uh, offers for refunds that lets people refund payers without the payers having to dox their identity. So I think it's really great. And I think it's one of the important things to review at the protocol level and implement. And there's also, of course, dual funding and splicing and liquidity advertisement that I would like to spend time on. And But there's, there's just so many things that are interesting and useful. And we, there's only so many hours a day. Right, of course. You've only, only got so much time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and uh, you'll have to leave that for other people like uh, like Lisa, for example, to focus on that. Um, and listeners, check out the episode I did with Rusty on offers. So that's a, a good overview for people who are like, what is offers? What is that? Why is it good? I'm excited for offers. I'm hopeful to see that as well myself. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about... So we've mostly been talking about your protocol hat right now. So let's um, let's change hats. Let's talk a little bit about phoenix wallet and async so maybe just for people who aren't familiar give a bit of an overview like what's the latest with phoenix wallet i see you've got the iphone version out there now and you're getting um users on that too yeah so first just a bit of background about async we are actually working the the first thing we were working on is a server implementation we have a full node implementation called declare and our our goal for eclair is to be a very stable implementation the, the goal is to have an implementation that's stable, performant, and that scales well. The goal is to run very big nodes on Eclair. And we've been running the biggest node on the network, and we haven't had any issue for years. So it's a good proof that our software is working quite well. And then at some point, we realized that we wanted to see, we wanted to see the, the whole UX. So we, we had to, we had to implement a wallet because we wanted to see the challenges that people would see when they were not running on a server with a stable connection and all the issues that you have in the real world with unreliable connections, crappy phones, uh, battery dying, apps being uh, being in the background. So we started working on uh, Eclair Mobile, which was our first attempt at a lighting wallet. The goal was to make something really simple, but we just failed at that. It, it, it was just too hard to hide the complexities of lightning uh, three years ago. So it became something that was only usable for really advanced people who understand Bitcoin and Lightning. So at some point, we decided that we we made a lot, we proposed a lot of changes to the specification just in order to get to the point where we could retry to make a very user-friendly wallet. And we reached that with Phoenix. And the goal is to make it usable and completely hide the complexity of Lightning for, for users. They don't see the channels. It just looks like a normal Bitcoin wallet. And they don't see that there is any difference between a Bitcoin line wallet and a Lightning wallet. The only difference is that it's much faster and it costs less fees when everything goes well. And it's been a very interesting uh, experience because we've learned a ton of things about where the protocol actually has issues for low-end devices, which that, that's what led us to think about Trampoline because it was just infeasible for a mobile wallet to do the whole pathfinding to sync a whole graph to use that much bandwidth. So I think it's uh, it's really useful to have people working on wallets and giving that feedback to the protocol itself. Yeah, for sure. And I've found it really easy to when I'm trying to out there talking to people who are new and if I can demonstrate Phoenix wallet for them, that's often a very easy way to get someone started with Lightning. But I guess you know if you're trying to get people onto some form of a non-custodial wallet of Lightning, 
then they're going to have to pay channel creation, channel fees. And so that's just necessarily going to cost more than if they were to just do a custodial wallet setup. And so I suppose that's probably what you've seen as well when you're talking to users who are using, say, Phoenix as well, right? Yeah, and that's something we realized as well, that it's it's really hard to onboard people at scale because everyone needs a channel. And as a routing node, as, a, as an LSP, if you are providing that service to users and you have many users, that means you have to have a ton of UTXOs. You need to do a careful management of, uh, of your node that you don't have to do when you are just a routing node. And it brings a lot of complexities that we were only able to discover by running this service for users. And I think that's something that we, we need to find good solutions to if we hope to unbound many people to Lightning and we hope non-custodial uh, people can run a non-custodial wallet because we don't want the whole world to be using custodial wallets. So it's good that we are tackling these issues, discovering all the pain points and slowly working through them and uh, learning as we go. Yeah. So I'm curious then with the approach that basically every user, even on Phoenix wallet, might have multiple channels, right? Because I mean, they often do. I mean, I do on my Phoenix wallet. You often end up having multiple channels coming inbound and so on. But we know longer term, that's not how it's going to go, right? Because even if every person in, on earth wanted one channel to be non-custodial, it just wouldn't be feasible. Like we literally would blow out the <laughs> blockchain. And obviously these are things that we can do today because it's early. And I'm sure people 10 years on will be laughing at this idea that, you know, one guy can have like 30 channels and it's just not going to, you know, you, you get, but you get what I'm saying, right? That it's not, it's not, that's not how it, this thing is going to grow really long-term. I don't know, maybe long-term it's like we get any prev out and we have channel factories or something. Uh, but I'm wondering, do you have any thoughts on that? It's, it's a very interesting area of research because there are a lot of different ideas that would help us onboard many people while keeping the non-custodial part of it. There are the channel factory constructions where it stays kind of lightning, but with uh, multiple people in a channel, basically. And there are also other ideas. There's this coin pool idea where you would build some small communities that share the ownership of a UTXO. And then you would have many of these communities that only need one UTXO per community so it can scale. And these communities would then be plugged together through lightning. And there's also this, uh, this thing called uh, Fedimint as well, is kind of the same idea where you have a federated community that shares a, a kind of small federated sidechain for your community where your trust comes from the fact that there are, it's a T out of N signature. And then between the communities, we would use Lightning to connect them together in a trustless way. So the, there are a lot of re- there's a lot of research in that that I, I think these ideas are great solutions to scale to huge uh, huge number of users. I, I think obviously that we we cannot scale non custodially to the whole world with just vanilla lightning as we have today. But it's good that we see emerging a lot of research on how to actually do that using lightning to bridge multiple smaller communities that would do something more efficient than creating channels for every user. I see. Yeah. And for example, the Elzonte Bitcoin Beach idea is is really kind of more like a lightning bank, right? So it is custodial, but at least within a community area. But I guess the benefit is it's at least interoperable. They can pay any lightning QR, which is anyone on the lightning network. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's uh, that's the important property to preserve. Yeah. And I actually, I wonder, like, will it be the case that maybe five years, 10 years from now, a lot of lightning users will be custodial? 
I don't know, to be honest. I'm hoping no. Uh, I think that a lot, a lot of them will because not everyone values non-custodial uh, self-sovereignty. A lot of people just don't care and find it much better to have someone else custody their funds. So we, we don't want to force these people to go the non-custodial way. But I'm hoping that there will be enough users that value this, uh, this sovereignty. And what we need is to build the, the ecosystem and the tooling that lets people choose and that makes it not too, not much harder to be non-custodial. It will cost a bit more because you will have to open channels, so you will pay more fees. But my goal is that people who want to do it the non-custodial way just have to pay a bit more, but they, they have almost the same UX and they have something that just works great and it's not a pain to be, to be self-sovereign. So hopefully we're already kind of there and hopefully we, it's only going to get better and people will be able to, to choose the trade-offs that they, that they prefer. With Phoenix, I notice the approach taken is very much like the Electrum server model. So it's this idea for people who aren't familiar, Electrum is one of the OG wallets in the space. They started in, I think, 2011. And the model is essentially that there are a lot of public Electrum servers out there. So you can run Electrum X, some people run Electrus or Electrum Rust server. And uh, I think some people use uh, Chris Belcher's Electrum personal server. And so basically this idea is that there's all these public servers out there. And of course, if you want to be more private, you run your own and you connect to your own. Wondering, wanted to get your thoughts on this idea, uh, like with Phoenix and async using that Electrum server model, as opposed to, let's say the like the compact block filters, neutrino style, or any of the other approaches, you know, what's been your experience there using the Electrum model for Phoenix? I think it's nice because it's the same with uh, custodial versus non-custodial. It lets users choose their trade-off. Users are able in Phoenix to point to their own Electrum server. In that case, it's much better than compact block filters because it's just actually, they have a real Bitcoin node and no one can lie to them. So it's better than neutrino. And if they don't care about that or they don't want to have the cost of running uh, something themselves, they can connect to the wider Electrum, uh, Electrum list. So both trade-offs are possible and it's just up to the users to choose, uh, to choose what they want to use. Yeah, I think it's an interesting one. And in that way, you're also leveraging what's already out there. Because I think that's also, I guess, an interesting idea because you're not having to go and reinvent the wheel or go and create a whole new set of servers doing just lightning things. You're just kind of using what's already out there. So for listeners who aren't familiar, when you start your Phoenix wallet, it'll typically give you, you know, your 12 word seed. And basically it will use the Electrum server to understand what's going on on chain. And then obviously it will use the async node as its LSP, Lightning Service Provider, in terms of who it has channels with and who it's routing the payments through. And so, as we were saying earlier, the idea is longer term, there might be lots of trampoline nodes. And so though you might be going through the async node, you might be then using multiple trampolines from a protect from a privacy point of view, right? Exactly, yeah. And uh, on the Electron part, it's uh, we're really glad that it exists because it's actually a great protocol. The Electron protocol is really well-designed and is really a great protocol for wallets to be able to... It's much easier for a wallet to connect to to use the Electron protocol to watch their funds than to connect directly to a Bitcoin core node. So it's really nice that it was that it was there and we could use it so easily. And if users just run their own Electron server with their own Bitcoin core node, I think it's a very nice uh, privacy trade-off and uh, trust trade-off. Yeah, I see. And it is also possible to have... Uh, I know... Uh at least on the Android version, there is Tor built into the app. So that's 
an interesting one as well. There is a bit of a trade-off, obviously, around speed and reliability, but that is another option for people out there. So let's say they want to run one of these node implementations, like an Umbral or a MyNode or a Raspberry Blitz or one of these, and then they can connect back home. Their Phoenix Vault will phone back home to their own node or to the Uncle Jim node, like your friend is running one for you and your friends, then that's like an interesting model for people as well around kind of not doxing your internet or your IP out to the world when you do your payments. Yeah, exactly. I think it's really the, the first wallet to build a tar inside the wallet, I think was a Blockstream Green. And that's why when we saw that they had that, we thought, oh, we, we need to look into it and we need to figure out how they did it because we want the same, basically. And that's what led us to do it on Android because they, they were able to do it on Android. I think that on iOS, it's a bit more complex, but I'm not sure if it's completely, if there's a blocking point. I haven't been working on that part, uh, but I, th- I think we should be able to have Tor on uh, iOS uh, someday too, but I don't know the technical details of that. So I, I don't want to, to commit to it if uh, someone else in the team will tell me, uh, no, it's actually much harder. <laughs> oh, no, that was, that's not it. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I don't want to make promises you can't keep. Exactly. But I, I think we should be able to keep it. Yeah. Uh, so is there anything else you wanted to add in terms of things that are coming up from Async or any of the Async products or services? Right now, I think that on the... On the specification, one of the things that uh, on uh, Eclair and the specification, one of the things I want to, we've been working on offers, basically, uh, on Eclair, we, we have a PR that already does onion messages. And I was told today that he, we've been able to do compatibility testing between Eclair and C Lightning on onion messages. So this is great. This is making progress. And I hope Rusty is going to be happy with that. And the next step is to do offers. And we've been making progress on that as well. So ideally, we would ship offers in, uh, in uh, Phoenix. Uh, someday soon-ish. And then we, we're going to be working a lot as well on dual funding, splicing, and liquidity advertisement because it's going to make the Phoenix experience much better because instead of having all these channels that appear every time you need a new channel to receive a payment, we'll be able to do splicing so that you only have one channel for your Lightning, for your Phoenix payment. And that will let you also do splice out instead of swapping funds out, uh, on-chain funds out, with a swap provider that costs you a fee, you'll be able to directly take some funds of your channel and send them back on chain at the free rate that you choose without paying a fee. And that's going to be really useful for users. That that will give them more control. It's going to be hard to find the right UX around that, but it's going to be much better control over their channels for users and more more features. It will look much more like a Bitcoin wallet because they will not even see the distinction between on-chain and off-chain and and it will just work uh, hopefully flawlessly. Right. So the idea is that you might have your channels and if you need to make an on-chain payment, it'll just splice out some of the funds out of your channel, make that as an on-chain payment. Whereas right now it's sort of, you're just using the async server to do that or with with their funds and you're just having in the background having to do that. Exactly. Also right now, I guess, so offers is coming. And I know LNURL is enjoying a lot of community support and there are different, it's interesting as well, there are different websites like which allow you to log in using LNURL. And so one example I think is LN Markets. And so as an example, you can log in off your Phoenix wallet using LNURL, which is uh, pretty crazy. Do you want to tell us a little bit about the LNURL experience? I don't know it that much. I haven't worked at least on the implementation at all. I've only been a user. So I think the, the guys working on Phoenix in our team uh, know, know much more than I do about LNURL. 
So I don't think I'm the best uh, the best guy to to talk about it. Yeah, that's totally cool. I, I think I thought it was just an interesting thing that we're seeing in the Lightning world. All right. Well, I think that's pretty much all. They're the key questions and uh, probably time to wrap up anyway. So, Bastian, where can people find you online? You can find me on Twitter at RealTBast or on GitHub where I'm just TBast. So, should be easy. Excellent. Thank you. Thanks, Stefan. I hope you found that discussion interesting and informative. I certainly did. And I'll be looking forward to meeting TBast and a bunch of the other lightning gang down at adopting bitcoin in el salvador coming up soon and as i speak right now i am just about to head over to tabconf in atlanta and so get the show notes at stefanlevera.com slash 319 and remember if you enjoy the show and you're finding it educational make sure you leave a review on itunes for me so that new people can find the show thanks and i'll see you in the citadels